0: Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Shihan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Shihan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Okay. Good Friday, everyone. It is
1: Shidoshi Miller, Shihan Miller, whatever you want to use. I'm not a big fan of the whole Shihan thing, especially since I shouldn't be using it for me. Anyway, uh it's just me today. Well, I have a special guest, but uh it's me, Mr uh, uh, Mr. White, Shiroshi White sent me a uh a message late last night, early this morning, having a family emergency. I don't have any details, so please don't ask as soon as I know. Uh, if it's something that I can share, I will, but uh, I'm doing everything today, so I, that was uh, you know, running the music and all that stuff that the radio god normally does, but here we are. <clears throat> so a uh, uh, couple of things to cover today, uh, ironically, or coincidentally, coincidentally, uh, a couple of questions came in over the past uh, week or so, uh, since we were out for two weeks, uh, a couple of questions came in, and they were pretty close. Um, not identical, but uh, one question came in from Josh uh, asking about the um, the uh, English-style fighting and, and uh, those kind of things and how to hold the hands and, and how that's very Ichimonji-like and, uh, you know, why would that have been done and, and those kind of things. Uh, I'll get more specific about that when we get to that. And then uh, Chris had asked a question. Uh, Chris is one of my in-house guys and, uh, he asked a question that was very similar, uh, but it's about the roundhouse kicks and do we have anything like that and, uh, you know, uh, why or why not and, and those kind of things. So, uh, I'd love to talk about that. And, uh, we're also going to get into uh, a little bit more about, uh, mindset determining results and, uh, shifts that, that, uh, we should be making. Okay. Uh, if, if we're actually going to go somewhere. And when I say we, I really mean you. So uh, if, you, uh, if you're if you not sure if I'm talking to you or not, uh, as one of my teachers used to say, I'm not talking to the person beside you. All right. So anyway, um, if you've been following along online, uh, we posted a couple of these things on the Facebook pages. Uh, where else we posted them? All over the place. Um, <clears throat> uh, my special guest today is uh, actually someone who... Uh, started out training a long time ago, and we'll, again, we'll get into those details, and he actually worked into a position where he was the program director for my dojo. He, along with a couple of other staff members, and uh, then, you know, life happens, and I think he went into the Army and all kinds of things, right? And uh, it's been it's been a bunch of years, and he is back. So if you come in for seminars and stuff, uh, you'll uh, get a chance to meet Twain, but I'm going to introduce him today, and uh, uh, he will be uh, – uh, Mr. White's stand-in for the humor side of things. Uh, hopefully he doesn't uh, uh, disappoint. And if he does, don't worry about it. Uh, he's in the dojo today, so uh, I can take care of that for you. So anyway, uh, Dwayne Gilbert, um, I'll, I'll just start the interrogation. How you doing, man?
2: Doing great. How are you, sir?
1: I'm fantastic. You know, any day on this side of the grass is a good day, right? Absolutely. Well, there could be better dates. It's not as simple as that, right? <laughs> so uh, why don't you give the folks a, a little bit of a understanding? And don't be so serious because, like, you're, you know, on a recording and other people are, like, uh, staring at you with their ears. Well, um, I'm just thinking the shoes
2: I have to fill for Mr. White, so I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to do that.
1: Well, I don't know which one of you have bigger feet. I know he's taller, but that's, you know, who knows? Anyway, so um, why don't you tell me a little bit about you As a person, you're married, right? You have a daughter.
2: Married, Um, I have a child. Absolutely.
1: Um, Yeah. So uh, my hobby, my life right
2: now, and those children. I'm sorry. I said this is my life right now, as well as my child, my wife, my family.
1: (coughs) This is your life. So next week he might not be at the dojo you know. Well, it depends on whether I'm alive or not. Well, if I don't have a life, (laughs) it can't be it. (laughs) And you could have a worse life, right? I I, like that. I'm gonna have a life. This is it. So uh, remind me, because uh, you know I had that cognitive drop off from that accident, that brain damage I had there way back in 07. Um, When did you first start? Tra- well, when did you first start training in the martial arts? Was it was it with us or was it before that?
2: No, you're the only martial arts school that I've ever been a part of. I've never had a desire to go anywhere else. And I started when I was 16, so it's been 20, 21 years now. Wow. When you were how old? 16.
1: 16. I was wow. 16 years old. I was your sweet 16 present. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. The The whole podcast
2: will change. Well, I had okay. wanted to do martial arts before that, but that's when I was able to get a job and pay for it myself. So I was able to move in that direction finally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about that in a little bit, uh, about this whole, um, uh, you know, doing what needs to be done to make it happen. Um, so 16 years, and then um, you were, But do you remember when you started as the program director many months ago? Did.
2: That was right after September 11th, which is one of the reasons that I was in the military and September 11th happened, and I needed to get prepared for what may come, and that's when I had come back to get serious about my training again and become a program director, and that was really when things changed for me.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you helped us really kick the school up. So um, the fact that you're back, I'm just jazzed because we had two phenomenal years in there that uh, that worked really, really well. So um, uh, you don't have the same kind of background that some other guests uh, guests that I've had had like. Uh, well, you ha- you do have military uh, experience and stuff, but you weren't like a special operator or you know that kind of thing. So. Um, Let's let's talk about the the let's talk about the early days. You know, sixteen teenagers still in high school and all that kind of stuff. Um, what um, what did a sixteen year old uh, want or think he was going to get out of a martial art? Whether it was ninjutsu. Well, did you, first of all, did you go looking for ninjutsu or uh, did you were you exploring the other schools and this is just where you happened
2: to land? Well, some of this you're really making me dig into my brain and I can barely remember what I had for breakfast. But I Well, in that know case,
1: that, just hang up and, and we can be done.
2: <laughs> well, if you give me a second to ramble aimlessly about the ninja part of things, I'm sure that the Alzheimer's will kick out and the rest will come in. But I do remember one of my earliest memories of role-playing as a child was, you know, you had the, the girl was the princess and the other guy was the soldier, and I was always the ninja. So when I finally realized, I woke up one morning at 16 and thought, I have a job, I can afford to take martial arts now because my friends and I had always kissed each other around and whatever books we could find and videos we could get a hold of, but no serious training. So when I started looking and found that I had a ninja school in my backyard, there was just no other option. I knew where I was going. Awesome. As so, for the motivation at 16, back then yeah. it was probably significantly more ego-based because of the cool factor. I mean, ninja were cool back in the 90s yet, so... And they're still cool now, just in a different way. But back then it was still in the a little bit, it was the tail end of it, but the whole ninja mania. So sure. that whole invisibility and being able to handle any situation and being the total um, good guy, but badass at the same time, and being able to protect and serve. And, you now some of that has changed as I've gotten older and have a family and kids, but I'm sure we'll get to that as well as we get into the motivation and mindset
1: yeah well I mean you can keep talking about things i mean um you you ended up uh in workforce for a while and um I mean you were a student and staff so and and this is something that uh, a lot of schools uh don't even have in place because there's this um there's this association that if we have systems in place for enrollment and all these kind of things Then we're a commercial school and somehow that violates the the historical authenticity or whatever. Um, What's your take on that?
2: Oh, I – well, see, I come from a ninja mindset, and a ninja mindset is that the result is what we're after, and the way that we get there I don't mean that the ends justify the means, however, we need to be realistic on what reality is right now. And people aren't riding around on horses, and martial arts schools aren't necessary in a sense for daily survival. So its place in the world is different. So our we've got to function as a business because we have to pay bills, we have to pay taxes, we have to function within society while using warrior principles as our method for doing that. So, yes, that that side of it may still be the same, but... We've got to function in the modern world. And as ninja, it's always about using the tools that we have and the principles that we have. You know, like uh, handgun stuff is drawn from our sword technique. So uh, I kind of understand the traditional martial artists in wanting to keep things the way they were, but the reality is that everything comes and goes. And we need to keep, if we're going to take the principles and help people change society with them, we've got to do what it takes to get the information out there. And that requires it to be... A financial side of things because it is a business.
1: Yeah, and you know it's it's very difficult. I I I think there's a there's a moral and ethical problem. um, At least there is for me, for me to get somebody into my training group or to enroll someone into my program. uh, You know, painting a picture of where this art can go, and you know the fact that they could be a black belt or a fifth don or or whatever. But I'm not doing anything to ensure that my classes will be running next week, next month, next year, or, you know, when this person comes up ready for black belt, right? Um, and this martial arts still is scattered all over the place. It's not like Taekwondo where there's, uh, you know, in a, for all intents and purposes, there's a school, at least one school in every town, right? Uh, so it's not as easy for somebody to – uh, you know, have a school uh, crash out from under them and then them just go pick up at another school uh, where it has almost identical curriculum, right? I mean, as far as need to or booting out schools, uh, they're, they're all over the place, right? So um, as an instructor, uh, I, I find that it's uh, that I have a, a an ethical or a moral responsibility to make sure that when I'm offering someone something uh, and and the ability to produce results in the life and all that, that I should probably be around for the duration that I say it's probably going to take them to get to a certain milestone. Um, but then maybe that's just me, right? Well, uh,
2: I would – sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: No, 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 go ahead.
2: I, I totally understand your point of view, and the problem, I believe, is that most people love the martial art that they do, but they go and open a business because they love it, and they hope other people will love it also, but they're coming at it from an employee mindset, and ultimately, in our martial art, and as ninja, that's not the way we need to approach it. We need to approach it from every angle, and we do have a moral obligation on a deeper level to the students that we commit to, because if someone comes in and starts, we have to make sure that they're going to go back out into society and be good examples of what a ninja should be as well as the fact that we have a commitment because whether they're doing an intro or they're committing to a leadership program, we look at them as though they're already black belts. We just have to walk them along with the pasa to, to put it around their waist. And sure. so that's a different mindset.
1: Yeah, and, and, you're, and you're using a bad word for a lot of folks because they don't want to associate the whole business commercial thing uh, but, you know, and, they, and they'll say that's not the way they do it in Japan, but um, it's, sure. this isn't a but um, they they don't understand I would argue
2: that Hatsumi said he does it very well
1: absolutely he just doesn't pass out brochures and run ads he publishes books right so and then there's word of mouth through all the other instructors and in the network and people who uh, write things online and think about all the Bujinkan and Nijutsu groups that people are a member of or the Facebook pages or, you know whatever so the marketing is absolutely being done and then the Shihan don't have to worry about doing any marketing other than, oh, by the way, my training group meets on Thursdays at 2, Monday, maybe if there's enough people that sign up for it at 2, and then I've got this uh, class that I run at this Con over in this one town. Uh, it's, uh, you know, whatever night at 7 o'clock if you want to make that. That's all they have to say because people are showing up at this hub location known as Hombu based on Hatsumi Sensei's marketing, and then – they find out about these other things, and they you know and they go and all that so there's uh, a big difference in our I,
2: I, martial art a big difference in our martial art also because i don 't believe that his intention is to earn money, even though that 's a byproduct, and our intention isn't to earn the money either, and most people confuse that. Our intention is to use these skills and these techniques and this knowledge to help people live the life that they want and empower society and create productive positive change, where most people are just setting up. You know they're Taekwondo, Joe's Taekwondo because they want to teach people how to punch and kick and they love their art and I have no disrespect for that I'm all about that, but for me it's really about if it doesn't apply to my life and I don't go out on the other end feeling like it was well lived then I don't want to put it in my life and this martial art does that for me
1: sure and by charging the arts by choosing the route that I have and that means that um, I'm not teaching out of my garage I'm not teaching in my backyard or in some park which is going to be subject to Class is now subject to weather and all that, and I want to have a place that people can come to and is designed for training, like HomeBoo, like a lot of these places that, you know, are already set up. Um, that takes money. So whether I want to do it for the money or not, money's required, right? And, um, you know, again, going back to the traditional thing, you know, often a teacher could uh, hold somebody off or, you know, maybe they weren't charging money. But they were still getting paid because very often students, the uchideshi, the living students, they had jobs. So they went out and worked. They bought the groceries. They did the cooking. They did the lawn care or the house repairs or whatever. Um, and so the, the, the sensei didn't have to do anything like that, although there's lots of records that show that martial arts instructors made tons of money. And the martial arts instructors – the Japanese martial arts instructors in the Bujinkan make a boatload of money, and they pay taxes on it, and that you know there's all this stuff. So um, I, I think that that uh, folks again are are not really paying attention to to what's going on. And then if we look at the the, the 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 idea that we should just be doing this traditionally, I mean that's not the way it was done. That's not the way this is set up. You're right, absolutely. Ninety nine point nine percent of the people in this martial yeah. art should not be training in ninjutsu if we're strictly looking at history, because the only way to get into a ninja clan way back in the day was to be born into that ninja clan. So, you know, uh, of course it's going to be different because we're bringing in kind of an external family and not, uh, you know, God knows I don't want to have 20 kids. I don't even like right. the ones that, no, I'm just I don't know, I'm trying <laughs> to give them what <laughs> they have. I don't want more. <laughs> Someday, is it bad of me that I'm counting down, tick tick? Anyway, uh, this training, would you yeah. Really so it's just, it's a it's a very different approach. Uh, but that also doesn't mean that we're giving away the store either. No, no, uh, you know, pun intended with the, with uh, reference to the business. But that doesn't mean. And we had this discussion uh, earlier, right? I mean, all the things that I've learned in this art, um, you have to be in one tenth to one percent of the population of all the students I've ever had, and. I have to really know you before I'm going to give you certain lessons like, oh, I don't know, uh, making explosives or uh, building certain types of trap, booby traps and things like that. Just no, that's ridiculous. i would be like handing a loaded gun to a kid, right? So, um, you know, it's it's just, it, you know, it is what it is. But it's the same thing with the whole punching and kicking and, and all that. So, you know, people would see some of the programs that we have. And say, well, that's not real Nujutsu. I mean, that's like way watered down. Uh, well, yeah, because most of the people that come in here, just like most of the people that you run into, they don't want to do your full end do-it-all-or-nothing-at-all kind of thing. Uh, same here. But some people, you know, I always I see Nujutsu as being like, uh, uh, what's a good analogy that I use all the time, like uh, alphabet soup, right? Um, you can stick a ladle in there and pull it out, and you're going to have one mix of things. you put that back in there and stir it around and pull the ladle out, and everything is different, right? So you can tailor it to different groups, just like I do with corporate uh, training and all that. So uh, while most of the people that come in here want to learn some basic self-defense and, uh, you know, earn a belt and, and have a martial arts experience, uh, there's there's a smaller percentage that you know, want to get pounded on and thrown around the, the dojo and um, and want to get involved in wilderness survival training and, and all that kind of stuff. So does that mean I just shut everybody else out? No, because in all honesty, that majority group that wants less um, is actually the ones that keep the doors open and the lights on in a really nice training area for that small group uh, that is probably about the same size, maybe a little bit bigger than than. The average Bujinkan training group out there, right? So uh, I just I think that this art has a whole lot more to offer than just you know th- you know just to the people who want to do everything because that's such a small percentage, right? So um, but anyway, if people really understood history, you know, and here's a little tidbit for people, right? There was a time in Japanese history when uh, sex with young boys was completely acceptable. And there are letters that uh, I have been exposed to between really prominent people, right, really prominent warriors discussing this topic um, because they were into that topic, right? Um, so when somebody says they only want to do it the traditional way, if you ever see me lean in and my eyes twinkle and I go, just how traditional do you want to be? I'm talking about things like that, right? I mean, uh, often people, you know, we talk about this all the time, they open their mouth and they start discussing something they have no idea about, right? Or they have a hint of an idea. And, uh, what they do is they, they shift into a Dungeons and Dragons type world and, uh, you know, it's about, uh, Living the fantasy warrior life, uh, but it's an ego delusion. You know, it's not—it's not the real thing, right? So, anyway, um, what I know what it is, but why don't you tell everybody what your what your main focus is? Because while you you do like the martial training side of things, right? Uh, you you're uh, the, the place where you really see value in um, in the training, and you mentioned it several times already. It's really the life mastery stuff, right? I mean, that's 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 uh, at least from what I understand. So, why don't you talk about that a little bit and what you see the value or where you see the value uh, being, and what, what it is that um, you you see that this art can really provide uh, in that direction? Because I mean, if we really think about it, how often are you threatened with physical violence, right? So, uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll stop talking. You take it away because uh, I know that you're you're much more interested in in that realm, so why don't you talk about that a little bit
2: I guess it 's my turn to talk It is let 's do it well i it's not that I 'm against the physical stuff because but you 're right we don 't get attacked very often. however, I do want to know that if it happens to me or those that care about that, I have the skills to handle it however and, and this even touches upon what you were just discussing because for me it's really about a way of living and a way of approaching life and getting to the core of who and what I really am and my own values and what I really want to represent in the world and the legacy I want to leave, regardless, basically getting rid of all the voices outside my head and understanding what's really inside. And this art lets me do that so that I can create a legacy that I'm proud of when I'm on the way out. And regardless of whether it's a watered-down version of things, as they say, or not, at the end of the day, we're giving people skills that go much deeper than punching and kicking because we give them the self-esteem and the confidence and the things that people typically recite. But it goes it's so much more powerful than that because it ripples out like a stone in a lake. If we touch one life, that ripple goes out and touches two more lives or three more lives or whatever. And ultimately, we're doing our part to responsibly create change in our little part of the world, as ninja are supposed to do. And I take that as seriously as I can at my current level of understanding.
1: Well, you're quite the philosopher. I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a word that you keep using that I I think is just uh, fantastic, because I I use it a lot, Um, and that's legacy. Uh, Because you're you're thinking about things – outside of and beyond yourself, right? What what can you set into motion and what can you pass down or pass on, whether it's to your kids or to somebody else that, that caused this kind of thinking and this kind of operating in the world to become more mainstream? Because in today's world, um, you know, crying the woe is me and, uh, you know, status used to be what position you held at work or uh, what degree you held or whatever, and now status is wrapped around um, how many victim points you have. Right. So um, I, I think now more than ever, this stuff really uh, is necessary. But that whole legacy thing, and if we think about it, um, whether they meant to or not, right, our ninja forefathers, our ninja ancestors, I mean, we, we talk about lineages and we talk about traditions and we talk about ryuha and all that, but what we're living, we're living in their the shadow of their legacy. Right, I mean, they started this, and then other people thought it was important enough to do the same thing. To do the same thing, so um, you know, we're really we're really learning and passing on the highest level of the art because those people who um, have done bare minimum or you know didn't feel that drive toward uh, preserving or passing on a legacy or whatever, they just didn't, and the art died with them. So there's a lot of power behind what it is that we're doing because only those people with the same kind of mindset and the same kind of drive and passion pass this on. So it's one thing for one person to pass on a legacy, but if you think about the fact that we've got 2,000 years' worth of people passing on legacies, right, or or adding their energy and their focus and their uh, their experience to the legacy, I mean – wow i was, I'm in awe at things like that because we're talking about something that is ten times older than our own country right um, so uh i I'm you know I, I just that kind of thing just when I think about it um whether it gives me chills or just uh, now I'm short on words because uh, we haven't discussed this 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 way and uh, yeah. It, um yeah, it is what it is, so uh you know normally. Uh, Eric and I are joking at this point, and now you're getting all serious and stuff and t- changing the flavor of the podcast. Way to go, Dave.
2: Well, it wasn't my intention, because I do have a sense of humor. However, we are really digging to the core of, of what motivates us and what drives us, and that, in a way, is serious, because we got to know what gets us up every morning and what's going to get us through. We are the art of perseverance for a reason, and if you don't know at your heart what it is that's going to make you persevere, how could you possibly expect to get through the real crap that life throws at you. So
1: just to tell the yeah, the so, uh, podcast. Let, let me segue into something that might touch on something a little bit more personal, and we don't need to discuss the details and, you know, because post-military and all that, I mean, you know, you, like a lot of guys, um, you know, life was a little bit of a trial, right? And so but now you're back here. But uh, the, the segue here is is um, uh, really kind of wrapped around, Um, Well, let me start this off with a a, a little story. Um, Way back in the day, right, I was training with one of my teachers, uh, Shoshi Malmstrom, who is like one of the highest ranking and longest training people in the Western world as far as this martial art goes. And we were doing a meditation in in class, and uh, he had us visualizing, you know, this this mountain. Uh, you know, forest kind of thing and a path and, uh, you know, we're walking along this path and we see this figure walking toward us and all that. And as the figure gets closer, we realize that it's Takamatsu sensei. Okay. Hatsumi sensei's teacher, right? The last living ninja who actually applied these, uh, these skills when he was living in China. And, uh, and we're not just talking about the fighting things. We're talking about, uh, the part of the history where he taught at a foreign language school in China, right? Um, That just sounds like what it is, right? Except that foreign language schools in China at that time were like consulates today, which means that they are headquarters and bases in foreign lands for spies, okay? So we'll leave that alone for where it is because I wrote a whole series in in, uh, previous newsletters uh, about that stuff. But um, so here's this guy, right, who can rip the bark off of trees with his fingers and toes. and, uh, You know, uh, he can do what he can. You know, we, we know the stories, right? So he, he walks up to you and you stop and he looks at you and he says, What gives you the right to learn and pass on my martial art? And then Shinoshi Malmstrom left us with the question What's your answer? Right, What makes you worthy enough to not only learn this, but to be trusted and to be responsible enough to pass it on? And that was like a punch in the heart. Because that was one of those, you know, it starts out to be a cool visualization meditation. Next thing you know, it turns around into being quite the, like this powerhouse insight-based meditation kind of thing. right. So, uh, uh, so this, this it really off does. All point light-hearted. To... What's that? <laughs> it started
2: off all lighthearted, and then suddenly you're sitting there like, oh, man.
1: Yeah, the nice forest, nice path. Oh, it's Takamatsu walking up to me. Ooh, and he's talking to me. And, okay, his question is. Throat. What? Yeah, his question is, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, uh, so anyway, um, uh, you know when when you when you, uh, when you uh, want you know talked about coming back and all that kind of stuff and everything and you know we shared a little bit about the life things which again we don't have to go into this uh, but you you really uh, not well you were clear about it, but you're very specific about the whole idea that um, this art and And, you know, one, you've been thinking about this for a long, long time, whether it was in the military or whatever, and getting back to training and all those kind of things. But you use the words purpose, like needing a purpose, right? And you weren't meaning just needing a job kind of thing, right? So uh, I I know that. But you use the words purpose and passion. So, again, without going into the personal life details because it's nobody's freaking business, um, just I think people just need to be left with the understanding that not only did you and I have the same kind of poverty-based uh, upbringing, but we've both been knocked on our asses by life a couple of times, financially, relationship-wise, all the kind of, I mean, any way that life can beat you, short of giving you, you know, a brain tumor and tossing you, you know, into the dirt, um, we've been there. And it's very easy to uh, – you know, shoot yourself in the foot, or make decisions that um, you know kind of prolong the getting back and all that kind. Of, I mean, that's 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 what it is. But you use the words purpose and passion. So, um, what I'd like you to do is, is just kind of talk about how, uh, what you mean when you say those kind of things, and how you see that um, with your relationship with not just the dojo but the art and and why this. I mean, wh- why this for purpose? As opposed to, I don't know, just going out and putting in applications and taking the first thing that comes along. Does that make sense?
2: It does make sense, and you're really getting deep okay. again here, so well, this might be a this is a subject that people are very uncomfortable with and even people that are close to me when I talk like this it really rattles their cage a little bit. But I've always been one thinking about the end goal and the end result and ultimately no matter how we want to be delusional or ignore it the fact is we're going to have a moment that we take our last breath and that's it and when i get there personally i don't want to look back and have any regrets in how i lived because i did it to the best of my ability it never it didn't go perfect and that sort of thing but in every situation i lived according to my own code to the best of my ability to get the best results from a compassionate kind unconditional love standpoint and You never see a gravestone with it saying, I made millions of bucks, glad I did that, or a hearse with uh, a U-Haul behind it pulling the guy's stuff along. You know, when people get to their deathbed, most people get there wishing they'd have spent more time with the people they love or chased something that they really cared about or impacted the world and people in a positive, different way. So that, for me, is my purpose and passion, that, that warrior realm of the selfless service. And knowing that I'm leaving a legacy again behind and I have a choice in every moment of what that legacy is. And for me, it has to be one of unconditional kindness and love toward all of creation, including myself. And that one is actually the hardest for me. It's easier for me to show that kindness and compassion to others and harder for me to forgive myself for the small slights, the ant that I accidentally stepped on or the litter that I didn't pick up.
1: Well, I think, you know, I, I really do think that the people that, um, I, I think most of the people that, that follow Kuden can relate to this, uh, but the people that are really in this for the depth of training and not just, you know, how many kata can, uh, can I collect and all that, um, can relate to the, what I'm going to call the woo-woo stuff, right? Uh, and they're not thrown off by it, but uh, they, they there's more to it than just, you know, because if it was just about techniques, they wouldn't be listening to the podcast, whether recorded or uh, live. They would be on YouTube surfing and jumping from one demonstration video to the next, to the next, to the next, right? So, uh, obviously, there is more about it. But you and I had this conversation earlier where uh, we kind of talked about what we were going to talk about a little bit, right? And um, the subject came up. About uh, the folks that, and I've talked about this, uh, you know, both in the Kuden and in classes and seminars and stuff, a um, lot, where the mindset, here's the segue, the mindset um, just is just is not matched, need you to, um unless they change. And I can relate to this because I didn't have it. I was programmed and nurtured to be a whiner, complainer, uh, whatever, just like everybody else, early on, I mean, all the way up to early on in my training. And again, it was Shiroshi Malmstrom that looked at me and said, look, you got three choices in any, any given situation. If you're in a situation you don't like, you have three choices. One, get out of it, walk away from it. Or two, um, break it, fix it, whatever, right? Or three, accept, do whatever you need to to accept it so that you'll be okay you'll reestablish equilibrium, and you'll be okay and be able to function. Okay? Those are your three choices, right? Um, Get away from it, fix it or change it, or, um, or change yourself, right, so that you can accept it. But either way, don't bitch about it, because if you complain about it, what you're doing is convincing yourself or reminding yourself and the universe that you're a victim, right? And nothing changes. As a matter of fact... If you understand how all that stuff works, um, the universe will just continue to show you more and more of the same. So and who the hell wants that, right? That's a living hell. I don't care if hell exists after life or not. Um, I've, I've lived through, through some hells in this life. So, but we have this mentality where uh, you know I, I continue to hear this, you know I I can't go to that seminar or I can't train or whatever because either it's too far away or uh, what it really boils down to is um, I don't have the time or I don't have the money or whatever and that's their reason and that's the dead stop. Does that make sense? Right. I mean that's where it, where it ends for them. Right. That's the that's the reason. So that's it. Right. Are you still there? Or did 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 you hang up? <laughs> Still here, just listening. Absolutely. Oh, that's all right. Okay. So, um, you know, that that's their reason. And I get it. I get it, right? But aren't we ultimately in, in control of the time that we have, right? Um, you know, if, if, you're, if your day is that full, then how do you make time to eat or how do you – whatever, right? I mean, we're in control of our schedule. And if you're not, then you have abdicated your freedom – to someone else. And I get having job, family, uh, all that. I mean, you you know what my schedule looks like, right? Sure. I've often said to people that if I wasn't in charge of the school, I'm not sure that I'd be able to show up for class. But everything that I do is all related to this stuff. So it's kind of hard to not do it, right? I actually live this stuff. Um, but it wasn't always the case. Uh, uh, so it really, really boils down, you know, time is one thing, right? But then there's the money issue. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump on that, uh, because people like to complain, right? Uh, the ones who think that, you know, somebody's running a commercial school and it's all about the money or whatever. Generally speaking, when somebody complains about or, or some kind of topic, whatever that is, is the crux of a good percentage of their, of their, um communications, it's because they have a problem in that area themselves, right? Uh, it's like when we're looking at the mandala, right? Let's say that, uh, you know, I'm in the water realm, uh, so I'd be wearing blue shirts, and the guys across the mandala from me are in the fire realm, so they'd be wearing red shirts, right? Um, we never look at ourselves, right? So we never see blue shirts, right? So we never see the problems that the blue shirts have. We always look across and see the problems that the red shirts have or the problems that the red shirts are causing or whatever. Um, meanwhile, we're arguing with the red shirts. The red shirts can't see red shirts. They're looking across at us, and all the problems are being caused by, or had by, the blue shirts, right? Um, so, it, you know, again, it, this has to has to do with insight. And when we're looking at our own mindset, right? We need to stop and listen to the words we're using because they're a reflection of what's going on inside. And and here's here's the point that I'm getting at. Um, you know, if if not if. When somebody says, I can't make it to that thing because I don't have the money, for the defeatist mindset, that's their reason and it's the end, it's the stopgap. But to me and to people that get this problem, they have a problem solving mindset, they have a ninja's mindset, right? Um, That isn't a reason, it's a piece of the equation, right? Okay, don't have enough money to go to the seminar. Great. How much money do you need to go to the seminar? That's question one. Okay, you get an answer. Okay, now what can I do between now and the date of leaving that will produce that amount of money? If at any point in this chain I say nothing, well, then it's my fault. Okay, because either my vision isn't broad enough, my intention isn't strong enough, or my willingness to do what needs to be done, right, isn't isn't important. Or the the drive to get this stuff, no matter what, is just missing. Okay, so uh, you know, I get having to rearrange. I was in the military when I started in this art, so I had to not only rearrange family time and normal job time. You know what military is like. I mean, there's only so many people that can be on leave. It can only be for so long. I mean, there's just all kinds of impediments in your way,
2: right? And well, let's just say it wasn't convenient to make it to class
1: all the time for you. It was not convenient to make it to class, right? So, um, uh, but the, the reality is is that, you know, if, if that's where you stop, right, if you stop with either the reason that I can't, and that's all there is, right, there's nothing I can do about it, well, now we're talking about somebody who is powerless, Right? We can use the word victim or whatever, but we're talking about a lack of power or a lack of control of one's life, okay? But the reason for not doing it is powerlessness. If it's I don't have enough time or I have no control of my time, right, or I have no control of my income or my ability to make money, now it's not just powerlessness, but it's also a lack of personal control over one's own life, right? The only thing that's, that's going to be missing, because these two things are going to pound down on confidence, right, uh, but if we have confidence in ourselves that, that we're, we're able to do these things, right, I can make some changes. I may not have complete control of my life, but I can create pockets or windows of opportunity, okay? I can free up some time. I can negotiate with significant other or job or whatever to create a little window, even if it's just a weekend. Hell, I had a guy drive up from, from Georgia to do a day, and had to turn around and drive back. Driving up from Georgia took him almost a day. Driving back almost a day because he had to be in the classroom teaching at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. the next morning, right? So he only trained for Saturday, right? Well, he took off Friday because he, he could only take off, he could, based on his schedule or whatever, I think he could only take off a day, right? Uh, so uh, he left Thursday evening. Drove Friday, got in Friday night so he could train Saturday morning. Right after Saturday classes, or right after the Saturday seminar, we were still training on Sunday, he had to leave because he had to drive Saturday night and Sunday to be home Sunday to get a good night's sleep to, um, you know, teach his students, uh, in, in an elementary classroom Monday, you know, the following Monday morning. Um, did he just go, well, I can't go to the seminar, I don't have time? No, he he showed up for a day. He he did what he could with what he had and it brought his wife along, right? He even said, hey, you know, go along, we can check out what the area is like up there, uh, do some shopping, you know, look at different things and all that. So she came along, right? So it, it was a matter of how do I make it happen, not there's no way I can make it happen. Because when people say there's no way I can make it happen, what they're doing is they're looking at a snapshot of their current in-the-moment condition. They're not looking at what they have available to them outside of that snapshot or what they can create. So um, I think this is directly related to your purpose and passion thing, because while you made it a very grand thing and leaving the world a better place, you can't do any of that stuff if you're not – the guy who, you know, comes in and says, hey, Shisha Miller, I want to come back to class, and oh, by the way, uh, do you need any help? (laughs) Well, I was just thinking about you last week, and uh, yeah, the universe tossed you at me. Fantastic. Uh, That was kismet. Right? Um, But again, if we make the reason we can't go or we can't do something the final step then we don't have a problem-solving mentality. We don't have a ninja-based mentality, right? So again, uh, I would I would highly suggest that people ca- listen to themselves when they're talking or thinking about given situations and conditions, and catch yourself doing these things, and do a little mental shift, and try to change things from, this is the reason I can't, to, this is a condition preventing. And that leads to the next part of the equation, okay? Why can't I go? If it's a time thing, can't get off work or whatever. Who says, right? Do you not have any time built up? Uh Do you not, you know, whatever. Do you not have any leeway with your boss? Are you that much of an asshole that nobody likes you that if you make one mistake, they're going to boot you from the job? Um, whatever, okay? And I, I don't mean that to be, well, yeah, I do. I mean that to be very direct and clear, because if you read yourself into that, then you've created the condition, but you can still change it, right? You can still change it. So, um, but you go from that to, okay, maybe it is a money thing, right? So I, I don't have the money to go, right? Well, okay, how much money do you need? The next question is, now I know how much I need. How much do I have and what's the gap between what I need and what I have, okay? Now, what can I do? Not what can I do to make money. That's too vague. What can I do in this amount of time that will produce the amount that I need to be able to go? Or maybe this time I can only do a day, but I'm going to go and do a day, right? Um, you know, it's just – I think last week we had a similar conversation where I said, you know, everybody complains when the price of gas goes up, uh, but I look at when gas goes up and I go, oh, shit. Guess I need to – uh Get another corporate client. I guess I need to enroll somebody. I guess I need to, uh, you know, uh, promote one of my programs or whatever. I, I have never been stopped by the holy shit. Look at the price of gas. Even though it surprised me, but I just look at what I have and where I need to be so that that's okay again. And just, I just go and do that. And I'm very thankful that I, that I live in a, that this may be a word that brushes people the wrong way, but I'm glad that I live in a capitalist society where I have the freedom to move in the direction that I need to move and do, do what I need to do to ethically and morally, you know, produce extra for the living, right, which is really for trading value for value, right, because nobody would, would buy one of my programs for whatever the price point is if they didn't think they were going to get the value and that was a fair price. They wouldn't do it. Right? They would do like the other people do and they'd write me an email and go, You're just all in it for the money and, and if you really cared you'd be available twenty four seven and uh you would only sell this stuff for like ten bucks. Except that I'd have to sell a thousand a month to support my family because this is how I make a living. Not entirely, but it is you know, it's that thing. So anyway, um we talked about that earlier with the whole uh um, what do you call it? the the difference in mindset. So uh, do, you, do you have anything to throw on top of that fire? Because I just, I lit a pretty good fire and I probably pissed off a couple of people, but uh, that's okay. They know where the unsubscribe button is. <laughs>
2: well, I do have a little that bit of that. That was funny? That was <laughs> funny. I like when we
1: laugh at that. <laughs>
2: because anyway, we've got to be okay with people not agreeing with what we have to say. And ultimately, those of us that are true to the art, I believe anyway what we're really looking for is freedom and freedom to have choices, freedom to live the way we want, just freedom that even if something has to be a certain way, like I can't make that seminar because I have to work or whatever, we still have the freedom that, okay, I'm going to make it up somehow and figure out how to get the information anyway or whatever. But there's a difference in that mindset and going back to being mindful of our words. Any word that limits us like the word can't. It automatically cuts off any option or any solution, and it limits our freedom. So I know I personally am looking for total freedom. When I get to my deathbed, I want to be sliding in sideways saying that I did it my way, singing Frank Sinatra and the whole kit and caboodle, because (laughs) that's that's the way I want to go out. And I want the freedom to live life on my own terms in my own way. And, yes, there are expectations and demands because I've chosen to be in those situations, and I take responsibility for that. So if I can't make a seminar because I have to work, then I also take the freedom of the fact that I chose this path instead of that one at this moment because of priorities or things that I value at this second. But that doesn't mean I get rid of the training either. I look for solutions to kill both birds with one stone.
1: Sure. You send an email and saying, hey, will you guys be recording the seminar, and will the videos be available, or... You know, you look at the, the the buttons on the page, and you go, "Oh, look! I can go live, or oh, I can pre-order the uh, uh, the training videos, or whatever." Right? Um, and and so here's the, here's this really, and to me, it's a funny loop, but um, people again, they they keep running themselves into the see see the world's conspiring against me. I just can't get this stuff right. Where and this is an these are actual conversations. It's the same one. Uh, duplicated again and again and again with different people with slightly different words, but it runs generally like this. I really want to come to the seminar, but I can't. Well, that's okay. Um, I get it. Life gets in the way sometimes. Uh, we're actually recording everything. You could just get the videos. Um, I don't like to train by video. Um, training live is is best. Then I just say, I understand, but something's better than nothing. And then I get the, yeah, but that doesn't work, so um, I, I guess I just won't get it. I leave that alone, and I go, well, I, I understand where you're coming from. I don't understand, like, because often when you, when you say I understand, the person who's the recipient of that that phrase thinks what you mean is you agree with their, their logic and stuff. No, what I said was I understand where you're coming from. I understand the mindset that's creating that problem. Okay. But if you don't have the wherewithal to go to the live training but you can still get the lessons on video to get the lessons but to you live training is better and that's what you prefer and you're going to skip right over another option, then are you really going to the live training for the training or are you going to the live training because you get to associate with the celebrity teacher or because there's something else – that you're getting out of that experience because it can't possibly be about the information because you're being presented with an opportunity to get the information, at least in part. And why would you not do something to at least move a step or two forward rather than choosing to do nothing at all because if you can't have it your way, you're not going to do it at all. the hell is that? Right, that, I just—that
2: is crazy, that just... and I—I I don't know if it was Zig Ziglar. I so forgive me where I heard this. However, the quote is: "If you do what is hard, life will be easy. If you do what is easy, life will be hard." And that is such a true statement because when you do what it takes to get the skills and knowledge and stuff that you need. When those situations arise for those skills and knowledge to be used, those situations are easily dealt with. But if you're constantly looking for the easy way out, well, I can't go because of this, and then I can't get the DVD because of that, then it's going to be hard when the time arises that you should have chosen to make a different choice. And no matter what that is in life, if you choose to sit on the couch instead of mow the grass, when you finally go out and mow it, after it's been raining and growing for three weeks, it's going to be a lot harder than it would have been had you just did the hard thing and mowed it three times over the last three weeks yes that's all I have to say for for my success
1: <laughs> no that's that that's awesome and these are these are hard things to swallow especially when um we've either been programmed or conditioned or chosen to think a certain way because it's work for us right we get lots of sympathy when we when we do victim speech and, and things like that right um uh, or it gives us status in certain circles or whatever right um or uh, we um not just that we, we were programmed for it, but um it becomes a con or we're surrounded by people who do the same thing and we can't recognize how we're trapped in that group think. Do you know what I mean? I, so I do, we were either do
2: that with people, absolutely
1: yeah, we were either individually conditioned to do that. And, and there's another irony. You know, you and I were both in the Army, right? And a lot of people will avoid going into military service because they, they don't want to be a part of a group where you have no choice. You have to follow orders or else, and you have to do whatever everybody else says just because, you know, even if you don't understand it or whatever. Um, and then, you know, there's this whole idea of indoctrination, right? We've been indoctrinated. But they can't look around the little bubble called their personal world and see that they're living in the same kind of thing. It just looks different. Right. And they're doing it voluntarily. At least when we did it, we got a paycheck. Somebody paid us to follow instructions with little to no questioning or whatever. And to stay within a certain context and paradigm, we got a fricking paycheck. Most people do it for free and they can't understand why they're not getting different results Um, than what everybody else is getting. They want to rise above, but they won't do anything different to rise above. You You know, so I'm just confused. Never crowded along the extra
2: mile because everybody else is still stuck at the beginning. And then they wonder why they're not getting to see the scenery among the crowd.
1: Right, absolutely Okay, we really need to get to these other questions. So, because I, I promised I'd answer them, so um, I love I love this. Way. I mean, we could talk about this for a long time because um, we are ultimately what we choose to be, or we are what we have allowed ourselves to become. I use that quote at the end of my, a lot of my emails. Okay. Again, we are either exactly what we choose to be, or we are exactly what we have allowed ourselves to become. Okay, so two questions: What have you chosen? And conversely, what will you choose? Okay, so. Anyway, uh, so uh, one of the questions came through on the Kuden podcast page, uh, and Josh even uh, included a a YouTube video about a uh, fighting Irish stance, old school uh, fighting um, uh, Irish English style. Um, He even said he he thinks he answers his own question, but it's centered around the fact that in our Jumonji no Kamai, the wrists are facing the body. So there isn't direct bone-on-bone contact of the arms or the hands, uh, or the hands aren't stuck either. They're not stacked on top of each other like often boxers will do, right? Uh, he says, it reminded me of the bare-knuckle boxer stance. Uh, think Notre Dame fighting Irish mascot, right? Uh, I was going to ask whether there are any similarities between that old-style uh, boxing stance and Jumanji, uh but I sort of answered the question, um, sent some interesting links and all that. So here's the correlation, right? I believe, and uh, Nagato sensei and a couple of the teachers over the years uh, when I was training, uh, he said, you know, there is this, this kind of a universal knowledge that whether we're plugged into it or human beings just by virtue of having similar experiences, work out the details and figure it out and things end up looking very similar, okay? So not just with our jumonji, right, where the knuckles are pointing at the bad guy, so we have soft muscle that if, if he grabs my arms or punches or whatever, uh, that, that force is going to be spread out across two bones and some meat and all that. Instead of me having my hands stacked where my little fingers, my pinkies, are pointing at him and my knuckles are up, in effect, pointing back at my face. So if he punches my forearms, right, uh, that's going to damage my ulna and I run the risk If I'm, you know, in mummy stance or my hands are too close to my face for a so-called cover, um, he's going to punch my arm and I'm going to punch me in the face, right, which is the ultimate in stupidity, right? But what people end up doing is they take that programming. We talked about before, but let's go to combat now. They take that programming, and because they grew up watching boxers, as in modern Western boxers with four or five inches of cotton on their knuckles, move around a certain way and keep their head behind their gloves and all that, They're forgetting the fact that these gloves provide a buffer, and you're not just adding your fist for buffer, but his knuckles are encased in cotton, so there's a lot of protection in there where they've they've moved away from certain things that the old bare-knuckle boxers would have done, like punching the other guy's forearms or punching his fist or punching the back of his hands or whatever to break his weapons. The other thing that's done is the hands were were universally kept down and away from the face, right? You don't hide behind your fists, okay? So the the Irish style, right, that that old English style, you're actually bladed in an Ichimonji Sagan kind of position, and your knuckles are pointing at the bad guy. So now you've actually turned your targets away from it, okay? And you're leading with your knuckles. So absolutely – uh, there is correlation, but it's not like the ninja traveled to Ireland and learned, you know, that kind of fighting style or whatever. Um, it's just all you have to do is be in a couple of fights and realize that, oh, I don't want that to happen, right? So what are some things that I can do to minimize surface area? What are some things that I can do, or how can I position myself so that my knuckles are not pointing at me that he can take advantage of? And once you start learning from this perspective, Okay, so Josh is asking about our way of doing things, but once you get your head wrapped around this kind of idea, then you can reverse engineer it, and when you're in a situation and you get somebody coming at you in that modern boxer style and he's not wearing gloves and you're not wearing gloves, punch his arms. Punch the backs of his hands. Punch his arms so he punches himself in the face, okay? Um, use that against him. Let it, you know, and he's not going to, he's not going to be able to defend against it because he if he if he saw his arms as potential targets he wouldn't put them where he has them right so um which, you know kama is a is a huge study in and of itself but this is this is this is a, a really important thing that that one we don't want to be stuck and we don't want the, the you know our own fist to, or, to, you know to be used as uh um uh, to be used against us right so, uh, cool stuff. Anyway, so, um, so that's, that's that one. So, Josh, you're in the right direction. And everybody should be looking at the kamae, um, and, and even looking at the angle, right? Look at, uh, not just profiled, right? But why is the arm where it is in Sagon? Where, why is the arm where it is correctly in Ichimonji? And it's because it makes it very difficult to grab it or hit it. Okay? It's just, it creates an angle that is just very difficult to exploit without the attacker or the opponent throwing themselves out of whack to get at it, okay? And if it's easy for them to get, then you're in the wrong place, right? Or you don't understand your kamae as well as you think you do, okay? If you don't understand your kamae, then how do you understand any of the techniques that are based or built on them, right? Okay? Um, I firmly believe that, you know, if, when you get a handle on kamae, it becomes very, very, very difficult for somebody to get at you, to hurt you, um, because, you're in this, and even in our dojo, we call them the, the, the easy English translation, even though everybody knows what the word kumai means, we call them positions of safety. Okay, right? So if you don't see your kumai as a position of safety, right, uh, then later on we'll look at, it, look at it as a tool or a weapon in and of itself. If you can't see that, then you can't use it for anything other than the same thing karate people use their quote-unquote stances from. And the reason there's a reason why dachi or dachi and kumai are kumai. Alright. So there's a whole whole depth behind that. But this is a really good question. Uh and it would require a whole lot more uh behind it. But um yeah, so you did answer your question. You want to keep those things away. And then um Chris asked Chris asked a question about uh the uh, the, the kicking, and now that I think about it, this it, is gonna take more than we actually have time for. We're already five minutes over and they're gonna boot us. So Chris, I apologize. Mm-hmm. Next week we will cover, uh, the whole roundhouse kick and why we don't do those things. But let me give you a quick thing to think about so that I'm not le- letting you hanging, okay? Yes, I am leaving a cognitive loop that you're gonna wanna close, but, uh, th- this is actually based on, a, uh, uh, it's a, it's a story about a conversation I had with a Jeet Kune Do uh, practitioner. Oh boy, whew, way back in maybe the 90s, I was in Toronto teaching a seminar. And this guy came to my seminar and stuff and we were sharing notes and what we really walked away with is because of our street experience and because of the arts that we chose to study um, and how they were based on uh, strategic thinking and tactically sound technique, even though the techniques look different, right? Um, everything that we, we were doing was exactly the same it was producing the same results so but he was he was uh, telling me about um, the reason why uh, certain kicks were not done in filipino martial arts okay um, and that was because uh, and the same thing with stick we were talking about stick we we're talking about all kinds of things and some of this came down to clothing and all that but the reason why kicks were not done like in taekwondo with this whole initiating with a kick or throwing these big, you know, roundhouse kicks at the head and all that was because uh, in the jungle areas, Southeast Asia, uh, you know, uh, uh, Philippines, and if you think about, you know, Japan and all that, samurai or all people were carrying either a knife or a shoto or a, or a sword, right? Um, when you do a kick like that, All it takes is for the defender to shift out of the way and draw that knife or sword or whatever from its scabbard and cut your femoral artery. It's that quick, it's that done, and you're finished, right? In modern language, what we would say is if that femoral artery gets cut, you'll be dead before they can get EMS on the scene, okay? So this is is just a basic thing. People are carrying this because of – you know even in Japan, right snakes, wild monkeys, and all that kind of stuff in the in the forest or in the jungles, and um you know danger uh bandits all that kind of stuff you have a uh, have a have a knife, and even in the Philippines, this knife is tucked across the sash into the into the uh, or in the sash um, edge up just like we would carry a shoto or whatever and it 's just a matter of grabbing this thing in reverse grip as we avoid and slash anywhere from. uh, just above the ankle bone on the inside of the leg, all the way up into the groin pocket, you're going to cut the femoral artery. And when you cut that, remember your femoral arteries, both legs, are able to hold all the blood in your body. Okay, So I'm not going to get into all these other things that could be going on based on armor and all kinds of other things and why we don't or where it happens to be in our curriculum and why and uh, those kind of things. Uh, But just I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how um, if somebody has a has a knife, clip knife, they have a broken bottle or whatever, and you're initiating with something like this, what you're really doing is exposing one of your life-sustaining uh, support systems that if it gets compromised, you're done. They don't have to shoot you in the heart or the head or whatever, okay? You're literally giving them something that can kill you, that they can kill you with, and you voluntarily give it to them, okay? So I need to think in that direction for a little bit and then, uh, you know, we'll talk about it again, uh, hopefully next week, okay? All right. Uh, Dwayne, you have anything you want to toss into this before we uh, close out this session? You know what, while you're talking about that, I'm going to check to see if anybody submitted any questions, comments. Uh, I'll even open up uh, for any last-minute questions or comments. So now you can talk. Go ahead.
2: Not a whole lot. I think it was a good conversation overall. Uh, just the boxing thing, it's universal principles of what works for a body are the same for a Japanese person is the same for a Cherokee or the same for an Irish person so it may look slightly different but all bodies function the same so remember that it's about that freedom and being able to freely move
1: absolutely alright well I don't see any questions or comments at the moment I didn't hear anybody I don't see anybody on live uh, while I did post everything uh, I think maybe two weeks going by without us having a kuden got people out of the habit of looking for, then maybe this kind of threw them off, uh, and the other thing that I didn't get a chance to do today was to cross-post around Facebook to the other uh, Nijitsu, uh fan pages uh, or uh, whatever they're, they're called these days uh, to let people know that, that we're doing this. So we've got a small group that's on, and that's fine, um, but uh, hopefully this was helpful, and I just finally saw uh, Tim's response here to my question at the very beginning, how's Utah, and he says, Utah is very smoky, California smoke has arrived. So, um well, hopefully that cools things off a little bit. You don't have direct sunlight, but uh, uh, anyway, it is what it is, right? All right, guys, uh, they're going to boot us here pretty soon, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this one. This is episode sixty five so uh, hopefully I'll see you again uh, or talk to you again on the next one, okay, on the next episode as I'm going to try to close this like Mr. Whitewood. Uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode of Koden.
0: Thank you for listening to CUDAD, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.